in the book of 1 Corinthians this morning, chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. And my title is simply A Message to Men. Always on uh, Father's Days and Mother's Day events, I don't, I don't always preach on the theme of the day, fathers or mothers. It's hard to do year after year after year. But this year, I did bring a message on Mother's Day uh, from Proverbs 31 about God's ideal woman. And then now this morning, I'd like to speak to the men today, not just fathers, but all men. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul has now written two books to the church at Corinth. And he's covered a wide, wide range of topics that he wants to instruct this church in how they are to deal with these issues. And then he comes down to chapter 16. He begins talking about being sure to take the offering on the first day of the week. And then I go down to verse 9, for example. These are just random thoughts that he seems to have as he closes. And when I say that he's having random thoughts, of course, that doesn't mean they were not inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. They were inspired by him, of course. When we come to verse nine, he talks about a great door or opportunity is now opening to him. And yet there are many adversaries. Isn't that the way it is in life? Every opportunity also has adversaries, and every adversary sometimes represents an opportunity. And then I come down to verse uh, 14, for example. Let all things be done with charity. And uh, that constant drumbeat of, that we're to act in love as Christian people. And uh, verse 15, he uses that phrase about the house of Stephanus, they have addicted themselves to the ministry. The only time the word addicted is used in Scripture. And what, an, what a good addiction to have. They've addicted themselves to ministry. But my text verse is a random uh, phrase, if you will, from verse number 13, where he says, watch you stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. Now he's using, or our King James Bible uses this term, quit ye like men. To to us, the word quit means to cease whatever you're doing, to stop. It didn't mean that at all when when your Bible was translated here. Quit ye like men has the idea of to behave like men to behave like men, to act in a manly or a masculine manner, to behave yourself like a Christian man should behave himself. So let's read it with that in in mind. He says, watch you, stand fast in the faith, behave like men, be manly, be strong. A message men. It's not an easy time to be a man, and I hope that doesn't sound self-pitying, but I think you will agree when you hear what I mean by that. Modern life has moved men away from their traditional roles so far 
that it's hard for them to act as men have acted for 6,000 years or so. We have moved away from nature. At least many of us don't have to go milk the cows and cut the firewood and do the things that men traditionally have done. We have been moved away from physical hardship. We have air conditioning and all the conveniences of life. We have been moved away from self-reliance. I can go to Piggly Wiggly or whatever and buy my groceries. I don't have to go out and raise a garden and raise crops. We've been removed from the disciplines of nature. Nature has her own disciplines and she imposes those disciplines upon us whether we're even aware of it or not. The seasons and nature herself causes a certain discipline in our lives. There's a time to plant, a time to sow, a time to reap. There's a time of cold and there's a time of heat. Nature imposes her own disciplines upon our lives. I want to quote from um, a woman here, and she's not the type of person I normally quote from. She authored the first and primary book that was written in the country on feminism. She is the mother of feminism in some ways. She's also a practicing lesbian and uh, lives with another woman. But she writes about what's happening in our society touching the lives of men. Now, I not only want the men to listen carefully, I hope you ladies will because maybe you've never thought about the pressures and the things that your husband is now facing. You see, right now in our culture, there's an all-out effort to eliminate the distinctions between the sexes. That's why I just think it's real cool to have a long beard contest in church on Sunday morning. Just celebrate the differences, huh? I noticed we didn't have any ladies stepping up in that contest. May it always be so, huh? God made us male and female Every chromosome in my body is a male chromosome. Every chromosome in a woman's body is a female chromosome. And no matter how much medicine I take and surgeries I have, uh, it will never change. Every cell in my body will be a man's body. And the same, of course, with women. But there's an effort today, all this gender confusion stuff, to confuse the sexes. And this woman, her name is Camille Paglia. She's a feminist professor. She teaches feminism at one of the Northeastern schools. And she wrote in the Wall Street Journal recently this article, and here's what she said, and I'm quoting her. Not a person that I would recommend her writings, but she sees this problem for sure. We're neutering boys of their maleness at a young age. We're sissifying our boys, is what she's saying. She says, attempts to deny the distinctions between male and female lie behind much of what is wrong with our society. 
And consequently, she says, what we're seeing is how a society commits suicide. Now stop and give your attention to the screen there. What we're seeing is how a society commits suicide. You can't feminize the men, take away their maleness, neuter them, and have a society that resembles God's order. She even goes further, and later in the article, she says, and I quote again, the entire elite class now in finance and politics have no military service, and that in itself is a recipe for disaster. These people don't think in military ways, so there's this illusion out there in our nation today that if we're just nice and benevolent to everyone, they'll be nice too. They, referring to our leadership in the country, literally don't have any sense of evil anymore at all. What profound thinking from a person who otherwise I wouldn't agree a great deal with what their thoughts are. Patrick Morley is a man who has authored a number of books specifically directed to Christian men. He has a ministry down in Florida. He wrote, his most famous book was called The Man in the Mirror. And it was a book to Christian men seeking to influence them to be godly men. And he, his ministry sponsored a poll that was done among several thousand Christian men across the country. And here's the findings of his poll. He said, quote, many men today are tired. They're tired of the fast pace of life, the conflicting duties that they face. They are stressed they are slammed. Secondly, he said, many men have a sense of futility. There's this vague feeling down deep in their hearts that something is wrong, something is not right. They're just not sure what it is. Thirdly, he said, many men are not many Christian men are not integrating their faith into their daily life. While they proclaim to be Christians, in spirit, they are secular in practice, meaning we profess our faith in Christ, but we don't integrate that and carry that into the workplace. Number four, Morley said, many men become aware in their mid-years they've been living for the wrong things. After climbing the ladder of success, they discover it was leaning against the wrong wall the whole time. He said, number five, men tend to be more committed to high values and ideals than to Christ. And these are professing Christian men. They tend to be more committed to high values and to ideals than to the person of Christ. And he says, we need as Christian leaders to constantly emphasize that Christianity is more than correct information or correct doctrine, that, or correct behavior even. Christianity is a correct relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what a powerful statement. Let me say it again. He said to pastors, 
you need to emphasize to Christian men that Christianity is more than just a commitment to high values and high ideals. It is more than having correct information, correct doctrine, or even living with correct behavior in your life. Christianity at its core is a correct relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What an important, important statement. And then number six, he said, many Christian men are in reality cultural Christians. He defines cultural Christianity. And I use this term a lot. I've picked it up through the years because I think it it is so descriptive of what is happening with men and, and with, with, with Christians in our generation. What do I mean when I talk about a cultural Christian? Listen to me. A cultural Christian is one who has the tendency to seek the God that they want rather than the God who really is. Let me say it again. A cultural Christian is one who seeks the God that they envision him as they believe him to be rather than as he is presented in the Bible. A cultural Christian is a Christian who is shallow in our understanding of God. We seek God on our terms rather than surrender to the demands that he makes. A cultural Christian worships the God of the verses that we've underlined in our Bible not the God who is represented in all the verses of the Bible. You know, I tend to hear a verse or a phrase and I underline it in my Bible because I like it. It appeals to me. What about the verses where there's a God depicted who I'm not particularly fond of that verse? You see, I can't pick and choose the characteristics and qualities about God that I like and don't like. God just is. He is what he is. And so I don't get to pick and choose. I like this about God, but I don't like this. The Christian faith is not a cafeteria line where I decide what part of it I'll subscribe to and the part of it that I'm, not, that I'm going to neglect. If you're going to be a true biblical Christian, you're going to take it all, or, or by definition, you're not going to take any cultural Christianity. It's a real problem with men today. And so the rest of my time, I want to spend it talking to you about three things that I need to make my life fulfilling as a man and as a Christian father. I hope that you might take some notes and that you'll remember what I'm saying today, men. This is, I spent many hours because I really want to help you. And through 40-plus years of sitting in my office and counseling with men, I pretty well think these three things boil it down. I know what I need in my life. I think I know the big areas that you need in your life. Please listen to me today. Number one, we men need a cause. We need something to give our life to. We need something bigger than ourselves to live for. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17 and verse 29, and I'll not read the story. It's a lengthy story. It's a very familiar story. It's the story of David and Goliath. And so you have little David come out, and the armies of Israel are up here on the side of the hill, 
And over here on this hill are the armies of the Philistines. And down in the valley walks this nine-foot giant called Goliath. And he is challenging the men of Israel, and he's ridiculing them, and he's scorning them, and he's, he's actually blaspheming the, the God of heaven, the God of the Jewish people. He is ridiculing and laughing and mocking Almighty God. And the armies are just standing there listening to him. Nobody will take him on. After all, he's over nine feet tall. David has been sent by his father on a mission to carry some bread and some cheese and some special good dainties and treats to his brothers, who, five of his brothers who were there in the battle. And they're over there on the hillside, and guess what? They're silent too. And David walks up and looks at them, and he says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? What a text. Is there not a reason that we ought to take this man on? How long are we going to be humiliated and subjected to him and his mockings and railings against Almighty God? And nobody stepped forward. So little David says, well, I'll do it myself. And you know the rest of the story. How he took his sling that he had practiced with out there hours and hours and hours in a field. And he was deadly accurate with it. And Goliath comes and ridicules him and laughs at him and says, announces to the army behind him, I'm going to kill him and I'm going to pick the meat off of his bones and feed it to the buzzards. And he just ridicules and scorns everything about him. He has all this armor on and this big shield. And David whirls that slingshot and that rockhead that rock heads straight to the one unprotected place on his body. The only thing he said as he crumpled to the ground was, that never entered my mind before. <laughs> and it was over for him. And David stood on him and took his sword and chopped his head off and uh, got rid of that plague. David saw him as a challenge. He saw him as a mission. He saw him as a cause to be, a reason for him to exist. Why live if you're going to live in humiliation and degradation and watching a man blaspheme your God? Let me define a cause for you. Every man needs a cause, something to give our lives to. Men sitting before me, young men, old men, Every man here, you need a cause in your life. Something to get out of bed for in the morning. Something that gives you a reason to be. Let me define a cause for you. A cause is something bigger than myself that has meaning. Something bigger than myself, but it's just not anything. It's something that has real meaning to me. And we need that to give us a sense of significance. Men, by our nature, we want to make a contribution. We, want, we need a mission. We need a purpose, a reason to be. We need goals. God forbid that a man live his life and never have an aspiration, never have a goal. We need that to be fully what God wanted us to be as men. It's as natural to us as the blood coursing through our veins. Watch a bunch of little boys playing, 
at about four or five or six years old. What are they playing? They're not playing dolls. They're playing, I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be a firefighter. I'm going to be a soldier. I'm going to be a famous athlete that they model themselves after. You don't need to train them to do that. Just leave them alone. They're going to do that. That is part of their DNA. That's the way they are. They need that challenge. They need that, that, that competition in their life. Men have such noble impulses if it's not trained out of them by, by mothers who, and fathers even today who want them to be uh, neutered and feminized. Men are willing to make sacrifices. Think of the men, and I know there are women involved too, but it's still a smaller percentage. Think of the men who have died in the service of this country. Think of the men, who, the, the heroes that we look at in history where we've not been robbed of them. Men are willing to die for their wife. Ladies, I'll bet you virtually every man in this house would say, I would like to think that in the proper circumstances, I'd be willing to die for my wife. I'd be willing to die for my children. Because we've got to have those causes. Think of the apostles, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector who worked for the, go the Roman government. Others had different occupations. We're not even sure what they all did, but one day they meet the Lord Jesus Christ and they begin to talk to him. And over a period of the next days and weeks, they are absolutely fascinated by him. We believe we have found the Messiah, one of them said to the rest of them in John chapter number one. And when they met Christ, they found a, a cause bigger than themselves that had real meaning to it. And they became disciples, apostles, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they changed the world, 12 men. They literally changed the world through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they found a cause. They found something bigger than themselves that has meaning. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psychiatrist. He was a Jew. And I've quoted him frequently because I so admire his work. Frankl was thrown into Hitler's concentration camp. And he was watching people die all around him. Die in the concentration camp even before they were killed by the Nazis. And here's what he said in his book. It was not the strongest or the healthiest that survived the longest. Not the guy with the biggest muscles, but those with a will. Those committed to something greater than themselves. Man's search for meaning is the primary motivation of his life. I don't talk about retirement. When I get old enough to retire, I'll let you know. Now I have people come up to me, when are you going to retire? I don't have a real dread and apprehension of fear of very many things, but I fear being retired. I don't know if I can handle it or not. 
God will have to give me grace. Because my cause has been the Florence Baptist Temple. And I get up in the morning and it's what keeps my juices going. I'll fight for it, die for it, be right for it, wrong for it, but I'm going to be involved in it. God put that dream in my heart when I came here, and I've still got it there. And to think that I'd wake up and have nothing to do, or that all I could do would be play golf, and I like golf, and I I love golfers, but I need something bigger than me that has meaning, a cause. And men, you do too. Every one of us need to find that no matter where we may be in our life. I love that uh, movie and that book, Chariots of Fire by Eric Liddell. Eric Liddell grew up on the mission field in China. He was an MK, missionary's kid. He won the gold medal in 1924 at the Paris Olympics. And he said, I run for God. That's my cause. I don't run for the applause of the crowds. I don't run for my country. I don't run for fame. I don't run for the glory of the gold medal. I run for God. And he meant it. And so you remember the story in that famous movie of how on this day that he's supposed to run his 100-meter dash, they changed the race to Sunday morning. And he says, oh, his dad was a Presbyterian missionary. He'd grown up that Sunday is the Lord's day. You give Sunday to the Lord, not to your personal pleasure and pursuits. And he said, I can't run. I've trained four years back there in China, in the backwoods of China, by myself running up and down the fields and the roads. By myself, I had no coach. I'm favored to win this race. And now they've scheduled it on Sunday morning. You know what? Eric Liddell opted out. Somebody said, well, you can sign up for the 400 meter. Four times as long. What chance did he have of winning that? He entered it and he won. He won the gold. By the way, that race was held in Germany and Hitler was probably watching him that day himself. And he ran for God and he won the gold. It was his cause to run. Listen to what he says in another place in his book. God made me fast. He made me to run and when I run, I feel alive and useful and significant. And when I'm running, I feel I am doing what God created me to do. See, a simple act of running, but it was his cause. It was something that he, that was bigger than him and that it had meaning. Men, we must find that cause in our life. How happy would a lion be if he couldn't roar? How happy a porpoise if he couldn't swim? How happy an eagle if he couldn't fly? And how happy a man if he has no real reason to be beyond just trying to make a living and eke out an existence? I quote D.L. Moody, the great, great evangelist who literally changed, may have been the most effective evangelist in all of history. 
And Moody said this as a young man in his teens. One day I heard a preacher say, the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through the man who is fully consecrated to him. And Moody said, I said to myself, he said a man. He didn't say a great man, a learned man, a rich man, a wise man, nor an eloquent man. He just said a man. Well, I am a man, and it lies within the man himself if he will or will not make that full surrender to God. By the grace of God, I'll be that man. And he put one foot on America and one foot on Europe, and he preached between those continents, and in a day with no public, with no great mass communication, literally he shook the Western world for Jesus Christ established the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Moody Printing, somebody sent me two new books this week, both of them published by Moody Press, and it's been 150 years later, and his influence is still going through the world because the Christian faith was his cause. Surrender to Jesus Christ was his cause. And men, today, my challenge to you, what is your cause? Men, Number one, need a cause, something for which they live. Number two, men need a companion, someone to share their life with. How I thank God for my wife. Uh, My life would be so empty without her. That's the other thing I think about as I'm growing older. Well, I sure hope, I sure hope I go before her because I don't know what I'm going to do without her. I'll tell you that. I told you every time, if she ever told me she was going to leave me, I'd say, that's not a problem. I'll just go with you. (laughs) But I can't go with her there, can I? So I just hope the Lord will take me out of the way first because I'd be like a, a bird with a broken wing. We need that companion. God said we needed a companion. Genesis 2 and 18, it is not good for a man to be alone. He needs a help me. That's what God called him. The word help me actually means a suitable companion. One that there's mutual love, mutual support, mutual trust, mutual intimacy. Norma said this morning to me, handed me a cup of coffee and said, um, well, happy Father's Day. I said, uh, well, fine, yeah. She said, I'm glad you're the father of my children. I said, are you sure? <laughs> she said, oh, I'm sure. They act like you. <laughs> we need that companion. You know what the Bible says about that companion, that wife, that godly wife? Proverbs chapter 31, it says, her price is far above rubies. Think about that. Value your wife. Her price is far above rubies. And on this day when she's telling you happy Father's Day, again, tell her you love her. Reassure her. Because We not only need a cause, we need a companion. Someone with whom we can share our life. 
No amount of success at work, man, will ever compensate for failure at home. And I can tell you this from experience. Soon the party will be over. And life will pass. And there'll be two rocking chairs. You better take care of the one that's going to be sitting in the other one. You better plan for the time when it's just you and her. And you value your wife above all else other than the Lord Jesus himself. So men need a cause, something to live their life for. We need a companion, that precious lady that gave herself to you, someone to share our life with. And thirdly, we need a conviction, a conviction, something to believe in as men, something to believe in. Now stop for a minute. Listen. Think with me. Don't give your life to a lie, man. Don't give your life to a lie. Don't live your life being deluded and deceived. Our world around us tells us to live for material things, to be materialist, to live our life for money, for possessions, for positions or titles, to live for prestige and the respect that people will give us for a brief time in life. A material life, a life where it's all about what is happening on this earth. And if you follow the drumbeat of our society today, You will live for the now, for the temporal, for time, rather than for eternity. It's the greatest challenge I have and the greatest challenge you have as a Christian man to live for something bigger than just what we possess and who we are and our titles and positions. Another deceptive philosophy that's around today is that of hedonism. The world will tell you to live for pleasure, to live for comfort, to live for convenience, to get things in order so that you have things the way you want them in your life and and to indulge your own self. The Bible completely obliterates both of those philosophies. Matthew 6 and 33, the Lord Jesus, seek ye first, not the material things and possessions and titles and positions and not the good times and the parties and the pleasure. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's that righteous life again. Not a cultural Christianity where I pick and choose, but seek the righteousness of God in your heart and in your life, in your family. And then he makes you a promise. If you'll do that All these other things, the things I want for you in your life, I'll give those to you in due time. Seek first God's kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. I often quote Charles Colson. Colson said this, Christianity, he said, I became a Christian. Initially, Colson was an atheist, a lawyer, an atheist, and a counselor to the president, Nixon. 
You remember he was caught up in the Watergate scandal. He went to prison for two years. And while in prison, stripped to nothing, he became a Christian, a believer. He wrote his story, Born Again, his testimony of how God moved him from atheism and unbelief and even hatred of true biblical Christianity to to, uh, faith in Christ. And Colson said, the thing that convinced me when I was in jail that Christianity was true is that Christianity is the only system that explains what is. Christianity is the only philosophy, the only system, the only thought, the only worldview that truly explains what is the way that things are in the world. Buddhism, Hinduism, all these different things, secularism, materialism, they explain parts of our existence. But for example, none of them explain evil. None of them explain sin. None of them explain why that deranged man or that evil man, I should say, with that rifle went out and gunned down a bunch of people in Washington while the congressmen are practicing for a baseball game. None of those explain the presence of evil in the world. But Christianity does. Tells us exactly and specifically where it came from and why. And someone said, true Christianity is all true all the time. True Christianity is all true all the time. And men, I would challenge you today, beware of the many counterfeits that are out there. Beware the many counterfeits that are out there that Satan is using to entice us. The materialism, the hedonism, the secularism, the atheism, all those things conspire to rob us of what God wanted us to be and called us to be as men. I want to give a call to faith in Jesus Christ to the men who are here today. I don't know who's here. I see many men that I don't recognize you. You're guest with us today. I'd like to call you to faith in Christ. I would like to call those of you who've been saved for a long time to think about the three things that I've challenged you with. I see so many men in our own fellowship, and I say this to you in all love, men, but you just live a sort of a half-hearted Christian life sort of apathetic, and I've preached to you for years. You, you won't step over that line and make that surrender to the Lord. You'll go so far, but you've already predetermined, and you're not going to let the Lord lead you any further. And I look at you sometimes, and I think, boy, that guy had such potential for God. But I've known him for 30 years. He's thrown it away. He's probably not going to ever do anything now. But as long as there's life, there's hope, isn't there? Do you have a cause to give your life to that's greater than yourself and it has meaning? Do you have a companion? And if you do, if you don't have one, be praying for God to send you the right one. And if you don't have one, or I mean, if you do have one, value her. Her price is far above rubies. Understand the most important relationship in your life is the relationship with your wife. 
even more than with your children. Society now has got us so busy running after our kids and all these myriad number of events that people go to every day that if we're not careful, we, we neglect the relationship with the most important one, our spouse. I don't want to be a great dad and a poor husband. Put your wife where God puts her. He puts her first. A companion to live your life with. And number three, a conviction of something to live for. And if you're a believer, it always ends up being the cause of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a pastor like myself or work on the staff or a missionary. You can further the cause of Christ in a thousand ways, in some ways more effectively than I can because you're out there in that world. But you can't further that cause if you're not really surrendered to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here today, if you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, C.S. Lewis, the famous philosopher, said, before you can make a man a Christian, you must first help him understand that he is a pagan. We think of pagans as people, you know, half naked with a loincloth dancing around a fire somewhere in a jungle. No, that's not, there's not many of them left. The paganism is the philosophy of worshiping other gods than the God of the Bible. Before a man can be a Christian, he must first help, you must first help him understand he is a pagan. America is full of pagans. D.L. Moody again said, you've got to get people lost before you can get them saved. Remember when Jesus went to see Nicodemus and he, he uttered those famous words, you must be born again. Do you know who Nicodemus was? I know the Bible says he's a ruler of the Jews. Well, what does that mean? It means he was a rabbi. It means he was a Pharisee of the sect of the Pharisees. It means he was more moral than probably any of us in this building. They were the moralist of all time. They would only walk a certain distance on a Sabbath day. They were the cleanest people that ever lived on the earth. If you would have had a Pharisee for a neighbor, you would have been lucky. That would have been the best neighbor anybody ever would have had on this planet. Moral, upstanding, conscientious. Did Jesus tell him? Did he compliment him for all that? Not for a second. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. He didn't waste any time with all the other stuff. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 says, God command, commands all men to repent and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's a command to trust Jesus Christ, gentlemen. Romans 10 and 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever done that? Truly stopping and focusing on what those words mean? 
whosoever shall call on the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? And has something happened in your soul that changed you to cause you to know that you're born again? Patrick Morley in that survey that I told you about a few moments ago, Morley said one of the characteristics of men in today's society is that by the time they hit midlife, they're tired. They feel slammed. They feel stressed by all the things pulling on them. And Patrick Morley said, if I were a pastor, I would preach to the men of the church about Jesus who stood and in Matthew 11 and 28 said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. All of you who are tired, you've tried it the world's way and it hadn't worked so well. And now you feel that vague sense that there's something not right about life. And the invitation of the Savior, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I can tell you, gentlemen, there's not only room at the cross, there's rest at the cross. There's rest at the cross. Stand to your feet with me, if you will, please, and bow your heads in prayer. <clears throat>